Our text this morning is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. This morning, that's my text. That's it. You go, how can you preach on, on such a short text? I'm going to even shorten it. I'm not going to preach on the whole verse. I'm going to preach on one word this morning. We're going to look at, at just one of the words, and, and it's a beautiful word. We've heard a lot about it. In fact, it's, it's, it's a word that I hear other people speaking a lot about. I, I believe Pastor Jeff even talked about it a little bit. But it's, it's a word that's vital, and it's living. And it's important to us to, as we grow in Christ. It's a word that you don't often hear anything good about coming from those that aren't saved. And that word this morning is, in some of your versions, it's the word servant. In others, you have the word bondservant. The Greek word used for this in the New King James is bondservant. Uh, the Greek word is doulos. And doulos literally means slave. And there's a lot of actually debate of, of what it means. And, and I usually don't do this, but I really don't like the translation that NIV or the King James gives. The King James will translate it as servant at, uh, at times, and so does the NIV. And I don't think servant helps us to understand the depth of the word. And so I do prefer, uh, I really, my favorite is the New King James version of it because it's bond servant. Slave is what it means, but for us, slave can have a negative connotation. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Servant doesn't give it a strong enough meaning because it's not a hired servant. The word doulos, servant, bond servant, it's not a hired uh, hireling. It's not someone who, who serves just because that's their job. But it's an expression of an idea that God brought forth starting back in the books of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to go there. Deuteronomy chapter 15. And it it's really has an idea that we have to get a hold of this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Starting in verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. God's not talking about hired servants. If someone sells himself, like it says here in verse 12, that's called being a slave. And there's a huge difference. We're talking about a Hebrew who chooses to sell himself into slavery to another Hebrew. Often that would be to, to raise money. Uh, they needed money, and so they'd actually sell, they could sell themselves into slavery and to, to pay off a debt. Uh, but a slave doesn't have the same rights as a hired servant, does he? You lose rights. Can he quit if, if he doesn't like, like his boss? Can he, can he protest to the labor board because of unfair working conditions? What, what rights does a slave have? A slave has no rights. They're different than a hireling. 
the slave sold his rights away. And that's the word we're talking about. God permitted, now we have to understand though, God permitted people to be slaves in the Bible. In fact, we've been criticized as, we've, as we're criticizing the Quran and we're criticizing uh, other things as Christians, they're criticizing us back saying, well, your Bible talks about slavery, even in the New Testament, that it was okay. We need to understand as believers, God permitted slavery, but his law didn't allow people to mistreat slaves. We also have to understand that there was a difference in the slavery compared to what we think of when we, when we think about slaves. The way it was practiced in, our, in the South, it was completely against the principles of the Word of God. When we talk about slavery in the Bible, that's not what God was talking about in the South. That was wrong. Now, there was probably some very good slave owners who, who treated their slaves very, very well. We've heard stories of slaves wanting to stay on and not wanting to leave. Those people probably had a handle on the benevolence of God and the gift of God. But most people, as we remember movies I saw when I was very young, like Roots. That's not the slave we're talking about in the Bible. And that's not what we're talking about this morning. But in this, we see in this passage right here, the slave would be set free. And he would be blessed as he would leave. For a Hebrew, it was never permanent. It wasn't for life. It was for six years. And after that, he was set free out with, his, with livestock and, and with food. And why did they do that? Is so that when the slavery was set free in the year of Jubilee, the seventh year, that he wouldn't have to immediately go off and sell him into slavery to somebody else because he could do that. So they sent him away so that he could make it. But now we look at verse 16 in Deuteronomy here. And it says, If that happens, that he says to you, I will not go away from you, because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. This changes things. Now, we had a, a, a Hebrew slave in a condition that God would not have, have him mistreated, who at the end of his servant, servitude is able to go free and says, I don't want to go free. He says that that was okay. He could choose to become a slave for life. He could go with free at the end of the six years. And I, I would think most of them probably jumped at the chance. But maybe there was the occasional slave who, who had no family, had nowhere else to go. Maybe he fell in love with his slave owner and he chose to stay. He was comfortable. He liked the household and the master. But the, this was the case. The Bible has a special destiny for those people. As it says here in the scriptures, Master would pierce his earlobe with an awl against the door of the house. You know, kids who want, who want earrings always use the scripture. I can get an earring. The Bible says that I could do it if I'm a servant of, of God. And, I, and I, I think every parent should grab out the big awl and the hammer and say, let's do it then. <laughs> you get your ear to a doorpost and a big awl through it and it makes a very clear statement. You're not going anywhere. You are attached to this house. You are part of the house and the master is your master. 
It's, it's a real telling sign. Afterwards, it was traditional to put a gold earring in after the awl was removed. You know, you know we, we think earrings are new. They're not new. They've been around in men as well as women for centuries. But there was a different reason back then. That slave could never go free again. It was the difference. That gold earring, that all through the ears said he was no longer going to be set free in six years. It was a lifelong choice that he was making to become part of that house. He couldn't be sold and he couldn't leave. He became in that moment more than just a slave. He became a servant, permanently attached, bonded to his, his master, to the house. And usually... We see, we see that these bond servants, and that's the difference between a slave and a bond servant in that sense. They were trusted with more of their master's affair than just a normal slave because they had made a choice to stay. And so they would raise up the level of trust and, and even love between the, the master and the bond servant. They uh, often would become part of the family. Peter, as we read in Second Peter 1.1, starts off with, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul used the same expression in Romans 1 and Titus 1. James used the same expression in James 1.1. 1, 1. Jude does so in Jude verse 1. And so did John in Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. They all use this term, bond servant, doulos. And again, when we're reading our Bible, we're reading it in English. It's been translated to the best of, uh, of the translator's ability to help us understand the meaning. I believe sometimes the translation just misses it. Maybe in the moment they translated it was better. If we understand that this isn't just a servant, but a bond servant, a slave, we're going to go further understanding these and then join us in with Paul and James and Peter. These were mighty men of God, starting off their letters that says, I'm a slave, I'm a bond servant. Moses was also referred to as the doulos of God in Revelation. And what did that mean? They meant that they voluntarily gave up their whole freedom, their whole life. They walked away from that and they served their master. And they said, Lord, I love you. I don't want to leave you. And then it meant that God marked them for something great, something different. He says, I'm not going to send you away. You're mine forever. That's what God says to us as we allow ourselves to become his bond servants it's good enough for Peter and Paul and James and John, and it's, and it's really good enough for me, too. We should all become those bondservants of the Lord. So, you know, Pastor Rob, it's, it sounds biblical, it sounds good, but what do we do? Let's find out what this bondservant stuff is all about. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. We want to find, I'm going to read a few different passages and, and help us to see this word doulos a few more times. Hallelujah. That's the proof that this is a cell church. Matthew 20 to 25 through 28. Okay. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In this passage, the first word servant in there 
is, is not doulos, it's diakonos. And the second word in there is where they use the word doulos. And so when, when he said, whoever desires to be first among, uh, who, greatest among you, let him be your diakonos, servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your doulos, your slave, your bondservant. The, the diakonos, that's where we get our word deacon. You know, if you're a deacon in a church, you're serving, you're, you're doing those things. It doesn't have the same weight as doulos does. Doulos is, is such a deeper meaning. It's bondservant. It's, it's deeper. It's permanent. Jesus used both words, I think, in part to let us know that if we want to be great in the kingdom, we can't just humble ourselves and be servants now and then. It must be a lifelong thing. And, and often, God, in the Bible, you see a, a progression of words. And so he's working up. If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be first, you've got to be a slave. It's like it's not just this, it's this. It's not just this, it's this. And he's giving us this is what life is. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to become a bondservant of God. So we're not going to read it, but Matthew chapter 25, just a few chapters over, we find the parable of the talents. And you can read it on your own. I'm sure you, you'll, you'll remember the story and refresh your memory. But whenever you see in that passage, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, it's a lot of verses. That's we're not going to read it. The, when you see the word servant there, that's doulos. That's bond servant. And so in that, in that passage, you notice that the master entrusted a great deal of money to his bond servants, to his slaves. And I don't think he would have done that with his hired hands. He's, he wants someone closer, someone he can trust. And we know, that we know the story, but the, I think it shows a level of trust between the master and the bondservant. Then going over, and let's go ahead and turn to Luke 17. We will read this because it's, it's a little bit shorter. So we see in Matthew 25 that, that there's a, definitely a level of trust that the master has with his doulos, with his bondservants, not just his diakonos, not just hirelings. Luke 17, starting in verse 7. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper? Gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward, afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. This, this flips it. We're reading about this special relationship between the bondservant and the master. And if you don't take the whole counsel of God in, in issues, you can, you can get a, a misperception. When, you, when the, the slave would say, I want to become the bondservant, I want to, be, I want to serve in your house, there was a special endearing, there were special rights, there were things that would happen. But this uses the same word and says, but he's still a slave. He's still the servant. And the servant needs to understand they're a servant. It's the flip side of what we read in Matthew. You could have concluded, you know, wow, they, they have special privileges, but he's still a slave. He's expected to perfectly obey the master. That's something we have to begin to get a hold of in our lives as we're approaching this with God. He has, 
as many privileges, the bondservant has as many privileges as his master chooses to give him. But he's still a bondservant. He's still a slave to the master. It's not a, a way to get an exalted position. You've actually, you're voluntarily choosing a lowly position. And just because you've chosen it doesn't make it any less lowly. I think that's a struggle for me and, and with some people. You know, we think, you know, I'm going to choose to serve in this really lowly position. But because we do that, we almost feel like it's not as lowly and that we're something special because we chose to do it. That's kind of like being proud of your humility. I'm more humble than anyone I know. <laughs> We choose to do these things, but we're still a bondservant. It doesn't make it less lowly. The, the, the phrase I heard, who knows where, I can't quote from who, but it's, it's stuck with me. Most people, I think everybody likes to think of themselves as a servant until they're treated like one. And that meddles with me. When I'm, when I'm going to serve and, and do something... I, I mean, I, I really like to serve. I really get a lot of joy out of it. But if I go and serve, and let's say it's go cleaning, I don't even mind cleaning toilets. I don't. I don't. I really. I don't mind that. So if I'm in there and I'm thinking, man, I'm serving, and this is gross, and this is yuck, and I'm doing this, and you know, and somebody comes in and say, hey, after you do that, will you go do that? I go. Ah. I volunteered. Oh, am I really a servant? It's a struggle for me. If I'm really going to serve, I need to allow that, that whole point to come. Praise the Lord that God is our master. Because I wouldn't want to be the servant for some of you people. <laughs> so, so we have this, this, this whole picture now. We've got, you've got a slave, but it's a slave by choice. But it's still a slave. And, and there's, there's still a lowliness to it because you are the servant. And when the master comes in and says, listen, I know you've been out in the field all day, but I need my dinner and I need this and this and this. And after all that, then you can do what you need to do. That's putting a different picture on what God is looking for in, in, in service, servanthood. And I think, wow, Peter and James and Jude and John and Paul, and they said, that's us. That's us. So Romans 12, you can, you can go there if you want. Romans 12.10, there's a, there's a passage here that's going to add something to this. So, so we've heard that it's voluntary. But Romans 12.10 says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another. The word be there, doesn't that kind of tell you it's kind of a command, right? We're getting into some things that we're being told to do. Be kindly affectionate to one another, God love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word serving the Lord there in the Greek is just a Greek form of the verb for doulos. So it's be a doulos, serving the Lord, doing it. But it's part of a command. We've now gone from voluntary to adding the point, but this is what the Lord wants you to do. Be a servant. Be a doulos. He's calling it for all Christians. Everyone who's serving the Lord 
needs to be the doulos, the servant of the Lord. It's not an option. It's not just for the more mature in Christ. Oh, look at those, those people should serve. I'm, I'm just going to come and sit and grow. And when I get more mature, then I will serve God. It's a command, a desire for everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior. Wow. This morning we're supposed to get a little afflicted. We're supposed to get a little uncomfortable. Be challenged. At, at, and so we still love each other. But, but let, this, let this word challenge us this morning. Let's go to Philippians 2, 5 through 7 to get the, the nature of Jesus. Everyone who calls on Jesus to be their Lord is saying, be a servant, be a doulos. Do it willingly. Choose to have your ear on the, on the, on the doorpost with the all. Do it willingly, but do it. When it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus took the nature of a doulos, and he was pierced on the cross-shaped door post for us. He became, he took the shape, the servant, the, the nature of a servant. And if Jesus can himself become a doulos, a bondservant, if he can lower himself that far, it should be even easier for us because we don't have so far to go. Jesus did it. So now that we really understand Greek and we're fluent and understand doulos, let's, let's break this down in English for just a little bit. Sometimes when... I find it really easy to, when you're trying to understand a principle, is to think of what the opposite of it would be. Sometimes just getting the opposite helps you to, to, to get over here. So you think servant. What's the opposite of servant? Well, one thing would be master. You know, servant relationship, the opposite could be master. And Jesus, he's our, he's our ultimate master, but he said he came not to be served, but to serve, to give himself a ransom for many. We read that in Matthew. He's the Lord of all, but when he was among us, he showed us an example how we should live. He even should, chose to be a bondservant. As, as a pastor of the church, he's, he's nominally the head of the local church, but the Bible says in 1 Peter that the leader should not lord it over those entrusted to you, but he should be an example to the flock. So Jesus was a servant. He was a doulos. The pastor is supposed to be a doulos. Slave owners in Ephesians, it talks about all these right rules for slaves. So this is one of the scriptures that, that I've been reading, people coming against Christianity. In, in Ephesians, it says that they're still supposed to be slaves. No, it permitted slavery. But if you are a slave, you're supposed to obey your master. You're supposed to serve as unto the Lord. But then it turns to the, to the master and says, slave owners, be the same way to your slaves, to your doulas. The principle is that you're supposed to serve the servant. So even as the slave owner, it turns around and says, no, you, also, you, you might be the master in this situation, but you also need to serve them. Jesus came as our ultimate master, and yet he served us. Pastors, leaders, life group leaders, though they are the leader, they need to serve those that God has 
placed under their care as, as shepherds and under shepherd. So then, if, we, if we're not going to use the opposite of servant as being the master, there's, an, there's another opposite that I, I thought, and that would be the opposite of servant is selfish. The opposite of servant is selfish. Because a servant says, what can I do for you? Selfishness says, what can you do for me? So in, in that prime example, that's the opposite of servant, is selfish. Selfishness is natural. It's part of our condition. We are selfish people. Even in our serving, we find a, a degree of, of selfishness at times. And I'll tell you that. I, I love to serve, but there's a selfish part sometimes, and I fight against this. Sometimes I serve and I still want a notice, a thank you, a gratitude. I'm just being really real. I wish I could say, you know, when I serve, I don't think of anything. But it still creeps up and, and, and I know that it does. I, I'm not even conscious of it, but sometimes after I do a job and I think, you know, I did it, nobody noticed, nobody saw me doing it. I, I wash the windows in, in, the, in the hallway because I'm a window washer on the side. And so I'll come and do the windows up here. It's, it's kind of fun for me to do. And I don't care if anyone sees me, but I love it when people walk down the hall and say, oh, the windows look really good. I still want some notice about it. Who cleaned the windows? Oh, some mysterious person as I build myself up. <laughs> it's natural. And we, 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 we don't live as natural men. We live in the spirit. But naturally, we don't want to be a bond servant. We can do that half thing of service. But what about that other part that says, do your work and then take care of me again. And then I'll let you know if you get to eat dinner. That's where it, it falls off for some of us. So permanently giving ourselves to the Lord. Permanently giving yourself as a bond servant to the master. So after service for the altar call. We're going to go out into the doorpost of the foyer right here, and we're going to just nail us all in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we don't have to do that, but Jesus did it. He allowed his body to be pierced for us. And we don't have to put the gold hoop in our ear, but someday for those who love God and have served him, there will be a gold crown rather than the gold earring that he will put upon our head. But all he wants from us is a commitment to him forever, regardless, regardless. He knows that we might wander off from time to time, and when we do, he may well call out the dogs after us. Just like in the movies, when the slaves would run away, and they called out the dogs. It's been said that God is the great hound dog of heaven. And, you know, it, there's some, you go, God, are you chasing him? You, know, you ever see people walk away and you go, God, are you, are you going to go get him? You don't know what's happening in there, but, but you, you t I tend to see all these things and these things happening in people's lives. When you walk away, you wander off. God's the master. You're the bondservant. And he's coming for you. And he's going to chase you down and he's going to wear you out. And the only way to get away is to callous your heart. But the difference between the pictures we see in the movies or the books, and, and they weren't just pictures, they really happened. It was an atrocity what we, we did in this nation to slaves. But the picture that we have of that is not the picture of God 
coming after us. God's going to come after us with everything at times. And I, I just giggle sometimes at the things that people go through when they're running away from God. Because you're going, man, if you just give up, just come back to the Lord. But He's doing it because He loves you. He's not going to beat you and punish you. But He's going to come at you until you realize that you had it so much better as the prodigal son did in my father's house. In my father's house, life is so much better. We have to learn that sometimes, but God is going to come after us. Praise the Lord for that. You know, as we think about all these things, though, we need to realize it's not a small thing that the Lord is asking of us. It's really not. When you sign on this dotted line, your options go away. You're committed. And that can be really scary unless you fully trust the Master and He is fully trustworthy. To rely and trust in Him that when we give our life that He's not going to mess it up for us. But we have to put our faith in Him. Some of you are, have been in charge of ministries in the church. And if, if you are, I'll ask you this question. If, you're, if you've ever been in charge of any type of ministry in the church or a volunteer ministry especially, do you rely on people that you know are selfish? Or do you naturally turn to the ones that you know will do a good job, any job, no matter what it is? You want those servants. You don't want selfish people. You're the selfish people. They're not going to show up. Because something's going to come up and they're going to say, I'd rather go to the river than serve today. You're not looking for selfish, you're looking for servants. How about us parents? Have you ever asked your child to do something? You weren't sure if he was going to actually do it? Happened last night. I was sure it was going to get done and it didn't. My poor kids, they get called out in service. But isn't it wonderful when you can ask your kids to do something and really know that it's going to get done? There's such freedom in that. And that comes because you've trained them to be servants. You've trained them to be reliable and faithful. If you've trained them up in the way you should go, then being a servant was part and parcel of that training. And if it's not and you're still raising your kids, you need to make it to be part of their training. Because if you don't, you are looking for heartaches to come. Because your opposite of servant is selfish. If you're not raising your children to be servants, you're teaching them to be selfish. And then there's a couple young people in here throughout the place. And as you are thinking about that wife or husband and down the road, how do you pick a good one? Hopefully you're going to pick one who's a servant. And pick somebody who, who just is, wants to serve. But you're going to notice how they like to serve other people. Maybe they serve their parents and they serve God and they serve. Because when you marry them, guess what? They're going to serve you. Isn't that okay? Can you do that? You guys think that's so selfish. You're all looking at me. But if you're picking that and doing that for them, shouldn't we do the same and be servants? Wouldn't a great marriage be two people trying to outserve each other all the time? You know? How come the women are laughing louder than the men? Wouldn't that be great to have just a relationship? You're just serving each other and you, you, you know, but 
as one of the things entrusting in this relationship, especially when you're dealing with people, is we have a fear of, of serving and, and doing this because we're, we, 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 we're human and we say, what about my needs? Come on, how many of you have said that? You know, you go, man, I serve and I serve and I serve. What about me? That's not the way it should be. We should, as believers, be in relationships that we serve, and because we are all serving, others are serving us, and God is taking care of those needs. But young people, as you're going in, you know, look, look for that, that thing in somebody who says, you know, I, I want to serve. And it's not just so you can have somebody serve you, but because they've got the right heart, no matter what. How do you find a, a servant? Well, you can look for gold earrings. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything special about the gold earring and the nose. We're not looking for that. There's earrings everywhere, man. If you want to find a servant, one way is, is you know, you get a place that there's a lot of volunteer things that need to get done. You look around the church. And, and I don't mean the, the high-profile stuff necessarily, and I think of the high-profile stuff as, as the music ministry. You know, because, and I, I, this is what I do, so I even understand my own struggle with it. Looking for a serving, look around the church to see who's serving in the church. But often, you know, the, these people love what they do in music. So that's, that, that, you know, even the whole man, those, those musicians, they're there on Saturday night and Sunday morning, and they're practicing, and they're, that's because they love it most of the time. That is a place. There's some people who do it just because they're serving. But there's a, there's a tendency to go, man, I just love it. I, I would love to do that. So, so not always in the, pro, low, the high, high profile ministries, but look around the low profile. Who's cleaning the bathrooms? Who's washing the windows and vacuuming? And showing up and doing some painting and raking. And you're looking for how do you find a servant? You're gonna be, they're going to find them serving. And you're probably going to be finding them serve when there's not a lot of people around. They're going to be setting up for barbecues and luncheons. Let me finding those things. I think a better indicator of a real servant is one who's doing the low profile stuff. The, those serving in the nursery this morning. And uh, even that, you know, our, our, it was one of those fun mornings. Our nursery worker didn't show up this morning either. So our kid zone worker and our nursery worker both didn't come. And I'm just going to, you know, call her out and, and not, not who didn't show. I'm going to call it the one who showed up, been gone for weeks, hasn't been in church, and she's bringing her kids to the nursery, and she hears that there's no one in the nursery, and she says, I'll do it. You know, Sarah Hastings. And just, you know, I just that's just awesome. Either that or she doesn't like my preaching. <laughs> Thank you. We'll go with the first one. Okay. So here we go. We're going to take a quick, quick test here. It's a pop quiz. I really do want you to do this. Unless it hurts physically to do this. I want you to look around at the people around you. Front of the church, back of the church. Look at people. Try to see everybody in, this, in, this, in the sanctuary for just a moment. Look close, far away. You're, you're, don't worry. You don't have to get up and go do anything. But I want you to see those that you are sitting with. So for each person that you just looked at, ask yourself this question. Here's the quiz. 
What have I done for that person lately? What have I done for that person lately? Is it hard to answer the question? Some of you are going to come up empty. I'm coming up empty. I get to look at all of you and go, I'm, I'm not serving the way I should. The test of, uh, there's a test of servanthood, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, but with these people, can you pray for them? Can you hold the door open for someone when they're walking in? Can you notice when somebody's doing something and help them with that? Can you speak an encouraging word to somebody? That's serving them. And if you get the right person whose love language is words and positive affirmation, and you give them a positive, encouraging word, oh my goodness. These things are real service to, some, to people. Letting others go in front of you at the barbecue. But serving one another. Is it that hard of the thing that Jesus asked us to do? Serve one another. John 15 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He didn't lay down laws and commandments about how much time we should spend serving every day. All he did is said, love one another. You think about those in this room and then stretch out those in your life group. What have you done to serve those people lately? Not just serving in the, in the, in the group, but maybe serving personally, praying. Some of the things I mentioned. But we need to do it out of love. And as we love the Lord, He can give us a heart of love for one another. And that makes the service easier. Otherwise, it's a joyless chore. But with love, it becomes natural. It's, it, it, it really can become, believe it or not, serving people can be, become effortless as you just tap into the love of God. And it can just begin to flow outside of you because of the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. But He's looking for that to happen. If we love Him, we're going to love others. He's given everything to meet our need. And He asks us to just give a little bit to meet the needs of the people around us. And now as soon as you start thinking about this seriously, and I, and I pray you are, you're thinking, well, you know, how can I serve? The devil's going to come in and begin to bring that, that thought we just talked about a minute ago. What about you? If you start doing all of this for other people, who's going to take care of you? God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. It's that release. It's that I'm going to not be selfish, but I'm going to serve. And as you do that, it gives room for God to take care of you. And who knows what amazing things will happen. You might have somebody... It's happened for me last week. Take you out on a boat and just have a great day, or somebody fix your car, or show up and and uh, pick your apples off your tree, or whatever it might be. God's going to take care of you. Ephesians 4:16 says, "From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, and it builds itself up in love, as each part does its work." We're the body. We need to build each other up loving and serving one another. There's a lot of needs in this place and as we 
have this great opportunity to be an experiment. Be a church full of bond servants where everybody's looking out for everybody else. Nobody has to worry about themselves. I think we'll find so much freedom in there. You'll, you'll find freedom from fear. You'll be surrounded by people that care for you. And you'll, you'll, your anxiety will begin to lift. I think some amazing things can happen as we begin to serve. But we live in a culture that poo-poos this whole idea of serving one another. Look out for yourself. You know, get as much as you can. Acts chapter 2 talks about this type of a church. We, we don't have a church like that. And I don't know of any churches like that. But I've seen our church love each other in ways. And I think, wow, we are just... And we do. We have people that love one another. And there are people that, that have the, the, the gift of service in the congregation here. And you know who they are. You just go, man, they're so good at it. You know, we can all take some lessons. But as people serve, doesn't it just bring unity and joy? I'd like to see our church rise up, not just here, but then we become a light in the community. If we have enough people here, right, to make a difference, beginning to serve one another and then taking this to our families, to our neighborhoods, and just being that person that says, can I serve? Can I help? What can I do? Simple thing, holding the door. It's fun to hold the door open. People are not expecting it anymore. Thank you. You've got to be careful. Don't do it at the post office because you never get to leave. We can begin a change, not just in the congregation. I think we could change neighborhoods and begin to change if we'll begin to start living as servants, bond servants. And I think the Bible teaches it's supposed to happen. We're not going to close the message by challenging everyone to embrace being a bond servant for life. That's too grandiose. You know, sometimes we do that. It's like, let's make a, the commitment right now to just give your life fully to being a bond servant forever. How about for the day? Can we go for the day? As you look around the room, purpose. Do you think you have some people in here? Purpose that this week you will serve some of these people. Find a date that maybe by the end of the year you will have served everybody here in some fashion in the next three months. But today, look around and make a purpose to serve a few people by the end of the week. And then when you go home, you can take that to your home and say, I'm going to purpose to serve my family today. Before the end of the day, I'm going to do something different, more above and beyond maybe even what you normally do. I'm going to serve. I think that would be an amazing commitment. And then tomorrow, we'll do tomorrow. We can't make these decisions. They're hard, these lifelong things. And baptism really is a show of that. The baptism should be this lifelong, I'm stepping over, I'm all in, I'm a servant of God. But it's just a good thing to renew day by day. Tomorrow when you wake up, God, how can I serve you today and how can I serve my neighbor, the people in my church, my family? And purpose to, to be aware all day long. You're going to find so many opportunities. I mean, even at the grocery store. Like we said, an encouraging word is a, wonderful, is a wonderful way of service. Start talking to people, encouraging them. Father, we 
I'm, I'm so grateful for your example of service to us. And I'm humbled and challenged to be a doulos. God, my natural man wants to resurrect and only care for myself. God, I need, I need you because I can't accomplish this on my own. But I desire, Lord, to serve one another. I desire to give of myself. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to see ourselves as bondservants of you. Change our hearts and minds and attitudes where they need to be changed to understand our, our place of this lowly place we didn't deserve to be saved. We're your servant. God, we're grateful that you have bestowed upon us so many rights and privileges but help us to not be prideful in those things. Lord, I am really grateful for this body that you've put me in. I love to see when people are serving one another and so much happens on a weekly basis that I'm just overwhelmed and amazed at how people love each other and I pray that You'd stir the rest of us up. Stir us up to, to serve one another in you more. Be with us today, God. Be with our family who, who could make it this morning. God, bring healing to the sick and rest to the weary. Lord, those are maybe some of the people we need to go and serve. Help us to hear your voice as you lead us and direct us. In Jesus' name.